0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Land Use and Economic Development Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Scott Wiener, the chairman of the committee. To my left is Supervisor Malia Cohen. Uh, Our committee vice chair, Supervisor Jane Kim, will be joining us shortly. Our clerk is Andrea Osbury, and I want to thank SFGTV for broadcasting today's hearing, specifically Charles uh, Kremenek and (coughs) Jonathan Gomwalk. Madam Clerk, are there any announcements?
1: Yes. Please silence all electronic devices, completed speaker cards, and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the Clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the November 25th, 2014 Board of agenda, unless otherwise stated.
0: Okay. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number
1: one? Item number one is an ordinance amending the planning code to amend a 3rd Street alcohol-restricted
2: re- use district.
0: And uh, Supervisor Cohen is the author of item number one. Supervisor Cohen.
2: Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, today I'm offering a real simple amendment to the 3rd Street Alcohol re- Restricted Use District for allowance of type 23 or uh, small beer manufacturer alcohol permits. The 3rd Street Alcohol Restricted Use District was passed 10 years ago because of the existence of a high density of liquor establishments within the 3rd Street corridor. The restricted use district is bound, is bounded by Islaus Creek to the north, and Egbert Avenue, and uh, U.S. Highway 101 south to the southern boundary. In 2003, there were very real and significant challenges with alcohol, crimes related to the abuse of alcohol and just negative health effects associated with, health, with alcohol abuse. Some of these challenges still exist but we've made a significant amount of headway because of the restricted use district and by working with the Bayview police station captain. And as we begin to continue to make progress we're being smart <laughs> about the ordinance um, that we create and or amend. The opportunity to make uh, the amendment came to us by way of Andrew Castile of Laughing Monk Brewery, who is here this afternoon to provide a few comments. Andrew has been—it's pl- been a pleasure to work with you, <laughs> and um, it's been—and you've been very involved with the baby community over the last year, so I commend you for that. Laughing Monk Brewery is proposed for the 1439 Egbert Avenue, putting it just inside the RUD. So this is a very small change to the 3rd Street Restricted uh, Use District that is very, that, that is very small uh, but business-friendly, and it brings a type of change that we want to see in the uh, Bayview community on the Long to 3rd Street Merchant Corridor, um, but ensuring that we maintain uh, the protections and the restrictions that, are, um, that exist in the restricted-use zone. There there was a recommendation from the planning department to include a conditional use consideration in this legislation. However, there are no other PDR2 zones in the city that requires a CU for a type 23 uh, brewery further. The addition of the CU adds six months to the permitting process. This 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 inclusion is appropriate for the legislation. I've got letters of support here from a broad range of community uh, groups, which includes the Bayview Residents Improving Their Environment, also known as Bright, the Bayview Hill Neighborhood Association, 4800 Third Street Neighborhood Association, India Basin Neighborhood Association, and the Bayview Merchants Association. Diego Sanchez is here with us uh, from the Planning Department and will also, also be able to answer any additional questions should... Um, should any come up, so, Mr. Chair. Yes, I think that we should give Diego a few moments to make a short presentation about the amendment, and then maybe we can ask Andrew if he'd like to to say a couple words as well.
3: Thank you very much, Thanks, Diego. I- Diego Sanchez with the Planning Department. Uh, on October 23rd, the Planning Commission heard the proposed ordinance to amend the 3rd Street Alcohol Restricted Use District to allow small beer manufacturing uh, under an ABC license type uh, 23 as of right uh, where the underlying zoning district permits. Um, After brief deliberation, the Planning Commission unanimously recommended the approval of the proposed ordinance with one modification. That modification is for the Board of Supervisors to consider adding the requirement of conditional use authorization for small beer manufacturing. Uh, That concludes my presentation and I'm available for questions. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. Andrew, why don't you come say a couple words.
4: Thank you, Supervisor Cohen. Um, I'll be very brief as you covered I think most of what this is about. Um, I'm very excited to be part of the Bayview community. We've gotten uh, strong support from many uh, community groups. There's a lot of uh, PDR2 area in the Bayview which I think with all the other food related businesses coming in there there's a chance to make it really a a food mecca and so I hope that this will be passed so we have a chance to be part of that.
2: Great. All right, thank you very much. So without uh, any further ado maybe we can make a motion to um, to accept these amendments. And, um, uh, I think we should take oh, public that's right. comment first. We take public comment, absolutely.
0: Great. So we'll now open public comment on item number one. I have two public comment cards. Uh, actually, you already.
2: Yes, you just spoke. Andrew Spook.
0: Andrew just spoke, and then Eric Niesti. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that.
4: Good afternoon,
5: and thank you very much for hearing this. Uh, as a craftsman myself, we're opening Foghorn Restaurant at 3rd Street of McKinnon. And we would be grateful to have the opportunity to continue to kind of establish our craft and uh, kind of create a great place for people to come and commune around uh, the act of craftsmanship and beer making. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item number one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. So, Supervisor Cohen, you have amendments to item number one? I do. Or, Or any amendments to what's before us?
2: No amendments okay. to what's before so we us. Amend- I've spoken to record about what the amendments and the changes that I'd like to see. And uh, and, and
0: those are yeah. all reflected in the item currently? That's correct. Okay, great. Um, so uh, could I have a motion to forward item one to the full board with positive recommendations? So moved. And we'll take that without objection.
6: Great, thank you.
0: Madam Clerk, can you please call item number two?
1: Item number two is the ordinance modifying the requirements of the administrative code as applied to the proposed construction of the Van Ness bus rapid transit project.
0: And Supervisor Kim uh, is the author of item number two.
7: Thank you. Um, this item will um, be brief, but we do have um, Peter Gabacho, um, the project manager um, here from SFMTA, I was going to do brief um, introductory comments. Um, this, measure, uh, this ordinance um, today is an amendment um, to our administrative code um, set specifically for the Vanus um, BRT project. Um, SFMTA plans to use a construction manager general contractor project delivery method uh, for the S BRT. And the director of transportation is seeking approval from the Board of Supervisors for a project specific ordinance to implement this um, CM GC delivery method in a manner that is most efficient for this project. Um, the director has determined under the administrative code section 6.68A um, that an integrated project delivery method will be the most effective way to achieve time efficiencies to implement construction of the project and that such a process is in our public interest. Um, the project is, as many of you know, a large scale plan to implement a full feature bus rapid transit on one of the busiest transit Routes um, in San Francisco, and also a major north south um, transportation corridor for all of our transportation modes in San Francisco. I know it is a system that um, the entire Board of Supervisors is incredibly excited about, um, as this will be the first BRT that we will be implementing in the city. I mean, really could be. Um, uh, a set of precedent in terms of how we can speed up um, and increase public transit service um, for our residents as we continue to grow. This project is um, very complex and the complexity lies primarily in the sequencing and organizing of the construction to minimize the impacts on the community, traffic, and transit during construction we do have a precedent um, for doing this before. Um, DPW did um, t- uh, bring an amendment to this ordinance to the board specifically just for the general hospital project in District 10 to allow a request for proposals to include both CM GC and trades subcontractors instead of just a CMGC reasoning that the core subcontractors in the pre-construction phase would enhance the design and provide added benefits to the efficiency of uh, the project implementation. SFMTA will require a similar ordinance um, for, SF, uh, for um, the Vanus BRT and this ordinance is before the board of supervisors or before the land use committee. Um, and so um, Mr. Gabacho is here to answer any questions if there are from members of committee.
0: Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Are there any questions? Okay, seeing none. Uh, I guess we can open up for public comment. Is there any public comment on item number two? Seeing none. Public comment is closed. And, Supervisor Kim, would you like to make a motion?
7: Yes, I'd like to make a motion to send this as positive recommendation. I do want to thank SFMTA for all of their work um, to ensure that we will have the most efficient project um, moving forward, and I'm happy to support this. I'm very, very excited about the BRT moving forward on Van Ness Avenue.
0: Okay, so the motion is to forward item two to the full board with positive recommendation, and we will take that motion yes. without objection. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number three?
1: Item number three is the ordinance amending the administrative and police codes to narrow the definition of property contracts subject to limitations on criminal history inquiries in employment and housing.
0: And Supervisors Kim and Cohen are the co-authors of item three, Supervisor Kim.
7: Um. So thank you, colleagues, for hearing um, the trailing legislation for the Fair Chance Ordinance authored by myself and Supervisor Cohen um, this past February with a unanimous vote. Um, We're really excited that with with the hard work of a diverse set of stakeholders from our civil rights community to the housing community to our private sector business committee were able to craft the most progressive ban the box reform in the state and we are again leading the country in our work to remove unnecessary barriers and create real employment and housing opportunities for one in four adults in the U.S. who have an arrest or conviction history. (coughs) Fair chance has now been in effect for over three months and we have received recommendations from several city departments including the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement, the agency charged with enforcing the legislation regarding clarifying certain provisions of fair chance. The amendments that are before us today will One, allow employers and city contractors to inquire about and consider infractions on driving records for positions that involve driving. Um, This was of particular importance to our office as we move forward with Vision Zero and ensuring that um, we are um, hiring the safest individuals whose primarily jobs involve driving. Two, allow employers and city contractors to inquire about and consider a conviction that is more than seven years old old for positions including the supervision of or care of minors, dependent adults or seniors. And just to remind um, the Land Use Committee members of the public, um, the Fair Chance Act limited any look back period of conviction and arrests um, to only seven years. These amendments will also authorize the city to bring a civil action against a housing provider that violates restrictions on criminal history inquiries, amend the definition of employment that is subject to the requirements of fair chance so that such employment must be at least eight hours per week within the city, And finally, provide that the criminal history inquiry restrictions in these code prevail over any existing conflicts in city law. And while over the last couple of months we have been finding some conflicts and been able to clean up those changes, um, this will ensure that if there are any other conflicts that we have not found, that the Fair Chance Ordinance um, will prevail over any existing conflicting law. With these amendments fair chance ensures that decision makers can still obtain all the relevant information they need to make fully informed decisions about employment and housing while at the same time ensures that individuals with conviction histories who are seeking stable housing and employment know that they will have a real chance to put their qualifications first. Ultimately, our entire community is safer when people have the opportunity to stabilize their lives. And with the Band the Box reform, we can reduce racial disparities in the criminal justice system, improve community well being, and reduce the cost of criminal justice, saving taxpayer dollars ultimately. These policies, embodied by Fair Chance, help open the door of opportunity for all of us, which makes our city safer healthier and stronger with everyone and with that colleagues I ask for your support and um, Supervisor Cohen I'm not sure if you want to add any additional comments um,
2: no I think you covered it all but um, this is very this is exciting That's my comment this is exciting and moving in the right direction
0: okay I uh, will now open item number three up for public comment is there any public comment on item number three seeing none public comment is closed Supervisor Kim
7: um, I'd like to make a motion with positive recommendation.
0: Okay, so the motion is to forward item 3 to the full board with positive recommendation.
5: Uh, um, Supervisor? Yeah. I believe Supervisor Kim circulated amendments.
7: Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you, City Attorney um, Givner. I, I did um, circulate amendments uh, to um, colleagues and to the clerk, and I'll just read that into the record. Um, I, so I'm making a motion to amend um, The ordinance on page four on lines um, 13 through 15. And this is um, regarding information pertaining to an offense other than a felony or misdemeanor such as an infraction, Um, and this is the driving record, if driving is more than a de minimis element of the employment in question. And so the amendment that we're adding is any such inquiry about disclosure requirement for or consideration of driving record infractions shall be subject to the requirements in subsection B through J of section 12T.4.
0: Okay. Uh, So Supervisor Kim has moved... That we adopt the amendments as she's described, and can we take that without objection? Mm-hmm. The amendments are adopted.
5: <laughs> uh, and Supervisor Kim, has uh, fo- apologies, supervisors. There's one one other amendment that I think was buried in in the the amendments that the supervisor circulated. Um, the 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 ordinance would allow the city attorneys or the city to bring a civil action uh, to enforce the housing provisions, mm-hmm. matching that up with the the current civil. A- right of civil action to enforce the employment provisions and uh, we made some amendments uh, at the working with the supervisor to to clean up that language so I just wanted to make sure that that's reflected in the record as well but it's non-substantive it essentially says that that in a civil action um, a court can award appropriate monetary damages, liquidated damages of up to $50 a day for each violation and any other appropriate injunctive relief as well as attorney's fees and costs.
7: I, and Mr. Governor, I have no um, problem with that. I thought that was already in the ordinance I was intro- That's for the public today. But what page is that?
5: Um, it is on. Uh, I believe it's on page 16, civil enforcement, um, in the in the version that I have. It might might have been pushed to 17 in your version that you just circulated. Uh, you. The ordinance that you introduced did propose a civil action. Um, uh, There was a drafting error essentially that um, incorporated some language that didn't quite make sense in terms of enforcing violations by housing providers. So we just uh, reworked that. Um, The original language said that in a civil action the, the court could award back pay and reinstatement to employees which is something that doesn't make sense in the context of housing providers. I see. So uh, we just just cleaned up an error that my office made in the drafting.
7: I see. So it's not in the copy that I um, actually have before me or that I shared with members of my committee. Mine still says the back pay, which I completely understand that 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 should be cleaned up. Okay. But I, (laughs) I do support that cleanup amendment.
5: Okay. I apologize. As you've reflected. So, so, if the committee can make the amendment, the oral amendment, we will uh, provide a conforming copy to the clerk.
0: Okay, so we already adopted the written amendment as uh, circulated by Supervisor Kim. Uh, uh, the city attorney has now articulated an oral amendment uh, that would then be reduced to writing uh, if we adopt it. And so, colleagues, can we take that additional amendment without objection? Uh, the amendment's adopted. And uh, Supervisor Kim uh, uh, has now made a motion. To move item three as amended to the full board with positive recommendation. And we'll take that without objection. Thank you. Uh, Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four?
1: Item number four is a hearing requesting information from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development regarding below market rate policies and procedures.
0: Okay, Supervisor Kim uh, requested this hearing.
7: Thank you. Um, Thank you for joining my land use committee today. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, this is a hearing that we requested um, several months ago and that we've been working very closely with the Mayor's Office of Housing along with um, many of our residents that live in BMR units um, throughout uh, our our district. Um, This is an issue that has often come up. And at my office hours every month, one of the top concerns of residents is access to affordable housing. Many have complained that they have tried to apply to below market rate units, but were not successful in winning a unit. To help residents navigate the complicated application process, I supported additional funding for housing case management. Currently, the Bill Stora Housing Program was selected to provide housing case management. They have now successfully placed a number of our residents in affordable housing units by helping our residents work through a very complicated um, process. Through this process they have identified process improvements that could reduce the number of barriers applicants face. Some of the um, problems that have come forward to our office's attention by constituents that ask for our office intervention in the application process. These issues include non-uniform and arbitrary policies and procedures by private developers, unequal treatment of BMR tenants and owners during the application process and their tenancy, as well as loss of BMR units because lack of oversight and violation of our sanctuary city ordinance. Our city has touted our on-site below market rate unit program as one of the best and most desirable ways that developers can comply with their inclusionary housing mandate. In fact, our office and the mayor's office often um, let developers know that we prefer that they build BMR units on-site versus paying the in-lieu off-site fee. However, unnecessary barriers have been blocking many of our uh, city residents from being able to access this invaluable and desirable affordable housing stock. It is important that we understand the barriers to access and develop solutions such as the Fair Chance Act to develop them. However, many of these barriers can also be addressed at an administrative level with input from our city staff, um, housing counselors, and residents in our below market rate program. With 2,595 applications for 18 units, as recently reported in the Chronicle, um, in one development, there is an overwhelming need, and there are many more applica- applications than there are units. but in order to make sure that there is equal access and that we are not creaming um, applicants, for example, our policies need to address the unique circumstances of individuals that were f- homeless that were formerly homeless, disabled, limited English um, speakers, potentially undocumented, and neighborhood residents at risk of displacement. I wanted to share some of the personal stories that I've heard um, that highlighted the need uh, for this hearing and to make sure that we were able to create a uniform and clear process for BMR unit applicants. Many of you have read about um, one of them, and that was Christopher and his family. They are a formerly homeless family that won the lottery for a BMR rental unit at NEMA on 10th and Market, but were disqualified by NEMA for a credit score that was only a couple of points below um, the the floor and was ultimately curable and cured with assistance from one of our city's nonprofits. These credit score minimums are set arbitrarily by each developer, meaning that it's not the same um, in each building and therefore not uniform throughout the city. Um, ultimately in this case, and we wouldn't want this to be the solution for other families, one, um, one of our city staffers, Bevan Dufty, co-signed um, their lease in order to satisfy the developer's arbitrary criteria so the family could move in after spending years in our temporary shelter and housing program. I had also mentioned a family um, in the Tenderloin that won the lottery at AVA. They were qualified on all fronts and were able to win a unit. But AVA's eligibility criteria included immigration status requirement, providing visa documentation. The provision should have never been included in the final criteria. AVA subsequently disqualified the family after they already let their... um, uh, landlord know that they would be moving out for lack of immigration documentation, which was a clear and flagrant violation of the sanctuary city ordinance. In this case, the mayor's office of housing was able to let, um, uh, Ava know and we're able to get the family moved in. But we want to make sure that we're able to prevent, um, the city from always having to inf- intervene, um, in private, um, in these cases. We also have another city resident that won the lottery at NEMA, but was disqualified for a nonviolent criminal conviction dating back to the 1990s, which was actually um, failure to make um, child care alimony payments. This disqual- disqualification was in direct violation of the Fair Chance Act that Supervisor Cohen and I passed to remove exactly this type of unnecessary barrier. She was, again, finally able to move in, but only after the city intervened to clarify its own laws. BMR units that also only receive rent increases but not rent decreases when authorized to do so by federal law causes hardship and is another issue that we've also heard from some of our BMR residents and in some cases have led to eviction for non-payment of rent. So these are just some of the personal stories that I want to share to give some face um, some faces um, to the hearing that we have before us today. I do really want to thank the mayors of Office of Housing because um, they've been working so closely with us um, over the last three months. Um, and they are charged with the oversight of the below market rate program for their – um, for their presentation today. Um, Olson Lee, um, the Director of the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, um, along with um, Maria Benjamin, our Director of Home Ownership and Below Market Rate Program, who's spent a ton of time with many of our residents in our office, um, are here today um, to present and to answer questions. So thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Um, all good, good
6: afternoon, Supervisors. Um, I'm, I'm uh, so very excited to be here. Um, this is my I've, my first year anniversary uh, with the below market rate program here. So it's uh, I've, i have a year under my belt to really look at this program and understand the ins and outs of it and and uh, advocate for our folks trying to get in. Um, when when we first talk about you know the BMR program, what one of the things I've noticed is that everybody. Thinks of of a BMR of all of our affordable housing as a BMR. So when you when you say I want to get into a BMR, it can mean so many different things. So so the the very first thing that we really want to talk to you about and and um, clarify are all the different types of affordable units that. Um, that the city has, and which one of them, uh, uh, which one of them are under the BMR program? So, um, am I? Can I? How do I? Done? Oh, good. Um, so, yes, I do. Sorry. Thank you. Um, so the units that we're not talking about today are uh, units that are 100% affordable from our, our multifamily rental program that our nonprofits develop with, um, uh, you know, with the inclusionary fees that are paid. Um, we're, not, we're not talking about units that are come under tax credits or city sources or federal state grants. There are about 17,000 of those units in the city, um, and they uh, go. Uh, they they reach as high as 50% AMI, but they also reach. Uh, some of those units are designated for, to pay the, the 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 tenant only pays a third of their income. So if their income is ten dollars, they only pay you know three dollars rent. Um, those are highly desirable units because they are the most affordable. Um,
2: and so these 17,000 that exist, they are already on the market? Yes. And I would imagine
6: at capacity? Yeah, filled. with long waiting lists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the programs that we are going to talk about are the BMR, Inclusionary Housing Program. Um, and we have about 4,000 of those units. Those are the units that, under my uh, uh, monitoring. Um, and they range... Up to 120 percent AMI, they go from 30 to 120 percent. But the majority of the rental units are, are the income limit is 60 percent AMI. They're priced at 55 percent AMI. Say that slower one more yeah, time. Yeah, I know it's a. <laughs> lo- <laughs> it's priced at 55. 55- it's priced at 55 percent, but the income limit is 60 percent. So you know, the the household can go about five. More than what the affordable price is set. And for this, for the
2: conversation, and for the folks listening at home, can you um, define AMI? Area
6: median income. It is adjusted for San Francisco metropolitan area. Um, So for, let's see. For when we say it's uh, the income limit in a BMR is is sixty percent area median income for a single person, that's forty thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars a year. That's their annual income. Yes.
2: So if I'm single and I make forty thousand dollars seven hundred and fifty, that is the limit. I fall I fall within the sixty 60%, percent, the sixtieth percentile of AMI. Right. Okay. And if you have say
6: two kids or one kid or then it gets higher it 's adjusted for household size so if you have uh, if you 're a three person household then it would be fifty two thousand four hundred and fifty dollars a year thank you and where can we find this information it 's on our website okay. um, and and actually in every posting that of an affordable unit that we do we put we post that information as well, but the full um, income limit chart is on our website, um, uh, and I, th- I believe it has its own little sweet little place so that it'll be easier for you to find And Your, your website? Is sfmo.org. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Sfmoh.org. Yes. O R G. Oh, yeah. M O H C D. Sorry. Okay. Dot org. S F M O H C D. All right. Thank you. So um, the the below-market-rate programs that are monitored by MOHCD, um, they're all uh, constructed by developers, private developers, as opposed to the 100% uh, uh, affordable units that are constructed and developed by our nonprofit uh, partners. And they're constructed with little or no cost to the city, and they're not directly subsidized by the city. Um, we monitor the BMR programs in six separate, de- separate programs. There are six separate programs. And, uh, and there's a total, as I said, there's over, a little bit over 4,000 of the units uh, in total. How, how many are in the pipeline to be added to the, uh, to your 4,000? Well, um, if you include the units that the uh, Office of, uh, of OCII are developing over the next 20 years, there's um, about a thousand of those units in the pipeline, um, about 50 un- units a year. Um, in addition, there we expect, and this is you know all depending upon how our developers build, but about 150 to 200 inclusionary units coming into the inclusionary pipeline per year. So, oh,
0: sorry. Go ahead. Are you sure? Yes. Uh, so the, and I know uh, Mr. Ols- Mr. Lee and I actually discussed this during the last budget season, or maybe it was uh, Brian Chu and I uh, had some dialogue about it. So 200 units a year, that's inclusionary plus OCII?
6: Or is no, that- that's just the inclusionary. It's about 150 to 200 per year,
0: and then and then how many from OCII?
6: About 50 a year.
0: Okay, so that's 200 to 250 a year between inclusionary and, and OCII. And, OCII. Yeah, yeah. and then how about if you add that other pot from the hundred purely affordable? I, you projects? know what? I
6: don't have um, a pipeline for them in front of me. Because um, two.
0: Okay, so total about twelve hundred, twelve hundred and fifty units per year coming uh, online. That, that is that is. I th- that,
6: well that that's a thousand plus the two fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I, I mean that that that's just um, I'm sure others will agree. I mean that that just seems incredibly low, um, and I. It just, I mean, the, the magnitude of, of the crisis is so great um, to be bringing 1,200, 1,250 units per year um, online, given sort of the size of our affordable housing program and the affordable housing trust fund and all the development happening in the city and uh, the, the, the remnants of, of redevelopment, um, It it just seems exceptionally low i don 't know if the agency agrees or I know it 's a loaded question in a way, but I, I know there's a lot of when you look at what happened at twenty one hundred and seventy five uh, Market Street in my district i think that 's what you were referring to before with what eighteen units and twenty five hundred people um, applied uh, it, you know that that in and of itself shows i mean and the new and the media correctly used that as an example of the the, the depth of the crisis that we 're in uh, and so uh, I'm, d- does does the agency think it's adequate that we're
6: well, bringing you know, that
0: uh, 1,250 units a year online?
6: We really acknowledge and understand that there is a definite crisis and there is a definite need um, for much more. If we had more housing, we wouldn't have any uh, a lot of these problems. Um, but um, uh, we are we rely on what's being built and by in the inclusionary program and in the in the BMR program. So. You know, by our our private developers. So, and we have a, a percentage of those units that come online, or um, and um, uh, so so it it it's not s- that that aspect of the BMR program isn't something that we can control. It's really controlled by the developers who are actually building the units. Right. Um
0: Right, and I guess, and you know, and I agree with Supervisor Kim about some of the issues and kinks that need to be worked out of the system uh, for sure, and I think the agency does a good job overall in terms of, you know, administering the program. I guess my concern is all of these issues are dwarfed by the fact that we're producing so little affordable housing compared to how much energy and how, much, how many resources in this building and among the, in the electorate, sort of devoted uh, to affordable housing, it seems like not enough is being produced. Yeah.
6: yeah. Well, let me tell you about the, the what is being produced. Um, the 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 six different programs I refer to, there are three ownership programs and three rental programs. That's hard to see, but if you if you look on page three of the handout, you'll see it a little. A little easier. Um, in the, the the three buckets of of production of ownership units, one is the inclusionary program that we spoke of. So that we we when a developer builds a, a, a condo, we um, get a percentage of those as affordable ownership units. Units also come from the former SFRA. Um, or or the OCII ownership pipeline. And then they also come from the condo conversion BMR ownership program, which is an older program from the 70s and 80s. There are 322 of those, and... 974 of the, the OCI units and 976 currently of the uh, inclusionary units. So that, that t- for home ownership, that totals uh, um, a little bit over 2,000 units.
7: Um, the okay. other buckets that these units come from for rental Supervisor housing. Kim. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I just yeah. want to make sure I understand the slide that's sure. for us. So um, in the entire universe of below market rate ownership opportunities that exist in San Francisco, there are 2,272 units total in the city um, divided amongst 215 projects. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And what is an example of a a redevelopment agency slash OCII ownership program versus an inclusionary housing ownership program?
6: Uh, Well, the shipyard units that are
7: coming online Uh right now, those are OCII. um, So anything in Transbay, Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But anEMA or AVA would fall under just the inclusionary housing. Well, I'm not
6: talking about the rental programs yet. I'm just oh, talking right. about ownership. So um, I'm sorry. Um, So those are just strictly um, uh, ownership units.
7: So a mission and 10th project that TNDC is currently building um, that's yes. all home ownership, that would be under the inclusionary housing ownership program? Yes, ma'am. But anything that was built under redevelopment. Um, like Trans Bay and Mission Bay and shipyards right. is under the, the green category. That's right. And I actually, I, you know, I, I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know a whole lot about the condo conversion BMR ownership program yeah. uh, from the 70s and 80s. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so the
6: condo conversion program, and, and I might ask for help on this, too, because it's, it's, uh, uh, the history of it is new to me as well. The, um, it, it allows homeowners to, um, I'm sorry, it allowed renters to purchase their uh, unit at an affordable price. Am I when correct? The <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> when, the, when, the, when the building was subdivided, when, the, when it went condo. And those units are there there are many different types of those that program evolved over over time um, but uh, that so some of those units are um, have are even able to rent out their uh, their 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 unit others Go away after a certain period of time. The restrictions don't last forever, maybe twenty years. So that program is one is a legacy program, um, and um, uh, and there are about sixty projects throughout the the city that fall under that category. And three hundred
7: and twenty two are still considered below market rate. Yes, and it's not a program that we continue anymore. We're just maintaining. We
6: are, um, if, a, if a unit, yeah, we're, we're, it's not a current program. That's okay, right. yeah, yeah. but we're
7: maintaining the existing ones. Yes, that's ones. right. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Okay, thank you. No, that's fine. I'm, I, I'll call somebody who knows more if you have further questions. Um, on the rental buckets that we have, so the, the, the rental uh, program, so there are three buckets for those type of units where they come from as well. Um, it, again, the inclusionary units again and so that, that it would be like the NEMA or AVA projects. Um, then there are the former um, SFRA units or the new units coming online um, with the um, and that, that's like uh, Avalon Mission Bay or Yerba Buena Commons. Um, and then there are the what are called 80-20 bond rental deals. And that's like the 2175 market that you were just referring to. Um, and each one of those uh, buckets have different regulatory agreements. And there's this very hard to see uh, file or slide. So. Um, In the inclusionary program, they are all uh, under planning code section 415, and they're monitored by the procedures Manual. So all of the rules come out of those for all of those uh, citywide uh, BMR from the inclusionary affordable program. The OCII portfolio and the former redevelopment agency portfolio, those have individual regulatory agreements. So that for the home ownership program, they are the LEP program or the limited equity program. Those have different requirements and restrictions than, the, than Section 415. So, so they're very different home ownership units. Um, the SFRA rental uh, agreements are separate agreements with each development. That, are worked at, that, was, that were worked out with the uh, former redevelopment agency. So they have yet another set of rules. The condo conversion BMO prog- program follows the uh, procedures manual for the resale of homeownership units, and um, the 80-20 deals have individual regulatory agreements. So when a, one particular BMR unit could be monitored under any of these buckets of, of authorities. So when people say, I got a BMR and I didn't get in, we have to dig down to figure out what was the, what, which was the monitoring agreement of that BMR, that, that specific BMR that you're talking about. And what are the rules of that particular uh, unit? There's, I, 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 there's, a BMR is not a, is a. There, there must be a joke or something about how, <laughs> how um, uh, one doesn't look like the other. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're all. You have to look under the sheet to see what's really going on under there.
2: I have a question. Yes, ma'am. About BMR specifically, I mean, about the joke about. whether it's uh, distinguishable from the other units or or not. Um, One thing that I have heard um, is a concern about the quality of um, products, uh, are, that are used to create and to construct these BMR. Mm. There is if anything else a perception out there that they're using inferior products mm-hmm. to create the BMR as opposed to the market rate housing. So often um, I'm hearing from folks that are saying that um, their their units yes they're below market and they're below market rate however they um, um, are crumbling. Yeah. Um, is, do, you, do you have Well under any the current insight?
6: procedures manual the that, um, each and under the current planning codes, all the BMRs in the inclusionary program are built exactly the same way as the um, on-site uh, market-rate units. No, are there ex- are there s- expressed um, or any
2: stipulations that are spelled out clearly as to uh, yes to, to ensure that we're building quality units and not sub-quality.
6: In the in the on-site units, there are it's it is spelled out explicitly that each unit needs to be the of the exact same, um, like if it's a one bedroom and uh, 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 market rate unit and it's built to certain specifications, then the BMR unit is built to the same specifications. The only difference is in appliances. Um, we allow our the developer to um, if they 're putting in you know the highest end I get refrigerator it. Everyone and, doesn't need a
2: viking stainless steel right exactly stove, they don
6: 't have to put the same viking in but, the bmr
2: so i 'm not really focused so much on the appliances i 'm yeah. really talking about maybe the quality of the plywood or of the um, the four by four you know just the the real um, shell. Uh, of 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 the building, um, and where so where do these uh, stipulations where where are they spelled out? It's in the planning code. So what what correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, in planning code 415, mm-hmm. it specifically just says um, you know a one bedroom is X number in terms of dimensions, but it doesn't talk about the quality of the materials that are used if I'm not mistaken.
6: And I am uh, I'll reach back and see if anybody else can. Speak to that um,
2: so my concern has to do with the quality of the materials that are used. Yes, um, a developer can or a contractor can go out and you can, i mean there's several different varieties of concrete for example that's on the market. How can we how do we know if they're they're not picking the cheapest Amount of concrete in an effort to, to cut corners and to save right, costs right. Um, because it's a below market rate or because it's right. someone's not paying a top dollar for a unit, they're less inclined or to put in quality material. I, I, I don't know if this exists. I'm just speculating here. I'm I hear about it. I don't know if you, if you hear about it in your district, but I do certainly units that have already been built that are BMR that people are living in are now saying, "Hey, listen. I mean, there's dry rot. There's in mm-hmm. the building's only a few years old."
7: Actually, just to clarify, and I know the Mayor's Office of Housing is familiar, what we have heard from some of our District 6 BMR residents is that um, their units don't get upgraded at the same rate. Mm. So that it, it may they may come into a unit that is equal to a market rate unit, um, but they believe that they're not getting the same appliance upgrades and um, other upgrades as market rate units are. Um, so that is um, um, an issue that we've heard from our BMR mm-hmm. rental. Um, sure. Uh, Residents and I
6: think that that also goes back to those regulatory agreements. Who, what, what it says in those monitoring agreements and those, or those, uh, you know, ongoing agreements. So I, I can tell you that in the inclusionary program, the current Section Four One Five manual, we we do address that, and we're in fact we're. Um, uh, we just recently uh, found a discrepancy in one in, in a market rate unit and a below market rate unit, and we uh, have fixed that uh, before it went to market. Um, but in some of the older buildings and some of the in, individual uh, regulatory agreements, they don't speak to that at all, and it's, it's silent to it. So it's it's leaving the developer up to the developer to make that uh, that those calls. Um, and, or the owner, I should say.
7: Is, is there any, um, direction from Mo to think about um, future development agreements or agreements with private developers on the upgrade situation because I'm sure it was something that wasn't heavily thought about when we initially made agreements um, with a lot of private developers. In fact, I've sat in many of those negotiations and you are so excited to get these units built that you don't think about 10, 20 years down the road. But now, of course, we have residents that have lived in these units 10, 20 years Mm -hmm. later and we're starting to hear um, about some of uh, the things that we may not have worked out and so is there um, a direction from mo to actually um, come up with a set of standards uh, for uh, future developments
6: you know we're we're going to be working on our um, our, our Re- redoing our mon- our manual procedures manual for um, um, and and that is certainly something that we can uh, look at and figure out how to be more explicit in the in the manual uh, with regard to the the um, uh, upgrades and how often and we're we're making sure that it's it's paired with what they're doing
7: with market rate units in their buildings. I, I think that would provide a great degree degree of clarity, not just for the city. Um, but the developers and also our residents. Um, in future cases of disagreements, at least we can say that something is on the books that sets um, what the um, what the expectations of upgrades and rehab would be from the city's end.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that that's well a good segue to my. There we go. Oops. Oh, what have I done?
7: Next steps. Yeah.
6: Yeah, my next steps. Um, what the, what's underway with our um, 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 uh, w- what's currently underway to um, improve the our, the BMR programs. Um, so we're we've recently expanded the our access to housing program that you spoke of, Supervisor Kim, earlier, um, and um, we've been able to. Uh, provide uh, grant funding to uh, not only the um, uh, Veterans Equity Center but also uh, SFHDC and MEDA and Consumer Credit Counseling Services and the LGBT Center to provide um, a, a, a really comprehensive program for renters for people to, so that they can really understand and get a good grasp of what this whole lottery process is and, and what it means to um, apply and how you, you need to be ready in case you do win to, uh, um, to move forward with and actually secure a unit to help with credit, to help with savings, to help with all of the barriers that our folks um, face uh, in, in getting housing um and uh we have uh also we're, we're we're beginning a process of actually training those agencies those and the and other agencies that are providing the similar services to so that they understand the programs and they understand the different buckets and regulatory agreements and why is it that in this building they're asking for immigration status and in this building they're not and um, and so that they can so that they're able to then communicate those differences uh, better to our, our, our consumers. Um, so that's currently underway, and we're also um, it's been underway for a while, but it's still in the development stage, uh, which is our our Dahlia system. Um, Dahlia stands for Database of Affordable Housing Listings, Information, and Applications. Uh, an electronic data sy- uh, application system where you can find uh, housing, you go in and you create a, uh, 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 you create a, an account and you 're able to apply for all of the vacancies in the lotteries that f- f- electronically and you don 't have to deliver it. Everywhere as uh, it is now when, during the, the slim hours that they have open causes a lot of frustrations for people. Um, and you'll be be able to not have to input the same information about your household. Um, uh, and so we're hoping that that will make it easier for folks uh, to apply for um, for our opportunities. The Dahlia system, we're hoping will be ready first of the year. And so it what's will the, only what's the hold up? I mean,
2: like you say you're so hopeful, but I mean, why can't yeah, you yeah. talk in more concrete <laughs> statements? What's, what's the problem?
6: Well, um, it's the developers that uh, we're working with. Um, a de- when you say developers, a, you mean the engineers? The people that are, are creating our Salesforce system. Our database, okay. So are they working for free? Um, uh, they are working at a discount, uh, but they are uh, not working for free so uh, and we're, we were paying them something yes. mm-hmm. so
2: don't we have the upper hand in saying when we will on our deliverable
6: yes you you would <laughs> uh, you would think um, and uh, uh, there was a problem with the system that they are working out, um, and so they're currently in the final stages of working that out and um, they've been assured us that we'll have be able to be up and running by the first of the year. But you're right, you're uh, my, uh, our, uh, yeah. So once that system is
2: um, up and operational by the first of the year, we certainly need to come back and have a conversation about how do we roll it out, how do we get that news to um, what's obviously a very Sometimes difficult and challenging segment of yeah. the population to communicate. Right. And I hope that this Dahlia system is able to re- receive and take information that's just not just in English. Oh, yes. I don't know if we have the capability to do hit a translate button and. Yes. Okay,
6: that's Definitely. good. To hear. That's a, and that is an improvement to the current system that we have okay. where the developer uh, uh, is required to provide those language um, um, differences in the application, and they will tell us that they do, and then we hear that they haven't. And so this way we will be able to control that a little better. Okay. What languages? Um, well, the, the system will be able to be translated in many, many languages, more than just the three languages that the, the city um, um,
7: uh, requires wow, well,
6: okay. uh, or focuses what, on. What are um, the three the three are um, uh, Chinese, um, Tagalog, and Spanish. But it will be, the system will be, ha, it has a, it, it's built in, the sales Salesforce has a built-in translation tool that will be able to go into many more um, languages than just those three.
7: It's not like a Google Translate type of format, because it for something as complicated as a housing application, I'd be very scared to have Google Translate, those documents in kind of an automatic fashion. I think that would be even more confusing Mm -hmm. to residents if if a technical word wasn't translated the right way. Um, I'm not sure that's a step up. I mean, it's certainly a better step. It's a step forward. Um, But will Chinese, Spanish and Tagalog at least be translated by the city or city agency so it's not a Google translate We are actually looking at that now. Yes, we're looking at that for our paper um,
6: uh, uh, applications as well. So our paper applications aren't translated already. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. We depend not for the inclusionary program. We for the inclusionary program. It's up to the developer to translate those, Um, and that's something that we're working on um, and um, and and hope to have that. So Final it sounds I'm like saying, we need yeah. to start
2: to change the criteria that um, that developers, or uh, elevate the standard. Developers, if you're going to, do, when you translate something here, at least the, the basic languages that need to be translated into. Yeah. Also, criteria, develop criteria around, and standards around... Um, where they're advertising, the size of their advertisement, with the placement of their advertising, just making yeah. that it's a little bit more robust mm-hmm. and making sure that it's culturally competent, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that mm-hmm. people re- see themselves and their cultures reflected in the collateral mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they are advertising in.
6: Yes, yeah.
2: So we can work on that, Supervisor Kim. Yeah,
7: no, we will work on that. I, I'm sorry, just to go back no. again, we don't translate any of our um, housing application forms, even the ones that are um, through Redevelopment Agency, OCII. I know there are private developers in all those cases, in those area plans, so we depend upon private developers or nonprofit developers to translate their own documents. Currently. Okay. Yes, I would like to work on that. (laughs) Um, In
6: in mid-2005, we hope that we will be able to... um, we're working currently working on this um, and and this is just um, kind of goes along with what we we're just speaking about. Um, right now, the marketing standards for um, um, all of the different buckets, including the hundred percent affordable units, are different because they're different regulatory agreements um, and so we're we're looking to um, systemize the the marketing standards. Um, And tenant selection criteria across all of the programs, so that it is, um, so that people won't be surprised by what one building um, will allow and the other will not, Um, and we, um, and so that our developers will be able to have um, uh, more consistent guidance on. Just the things that you were speaking about—the sizes of the ads, and how long they stay out, and how long the the application period lasts. Um, So, so we're we're working on, as wherever possible. It's it's it is also difficult to do um, uh, uh, procedures all across the board when there are so many different regulatory. Um, requirements, but wherever possible, we are looking to um, systemize the marketing and resident selection criteria for our rental units. Um, and then finally, we think that by late 2015, we will uh, have an update to the uh, inclusionary procedures manual that I was speaking of earlier, where we can um, um, update um, uh, and and make it address some of the needs that we have, have learned about, or that we've been monitoring for quite some time since the last procedures manual. We we when there's things that we find in the inclusionary manual that we think aren't working, we make note of it along, and um, and then we'll we'll consider that for the next manual update. That's all I got. You got questions <clears throat> more.
0: I, I have some questions. Um, and this is um, if you, for you or or, or for uh, Mr. Lee if, if you can't uh, answer it. Um, what does uh, uh, MOHC, what does Mo uh, do to ensure uh, diverse access to our affordable housing program to any lottery, any of our, whether it's uh, the inclusionary or non-inclusionary. To make sure that the entire spectrum of the community knows about it uh, and is able to access it, because uh, my sense right now is that a lot of it—it's really left to the developers to do the marketing—and um, whether it's you know the nonprofit developers or the for-profit developers—and uh, if you are um, if you are part of a community that has the infrastructure in place. Uh, whether it's nonprofits that are working to Mm -hmm. educate community members or whatever the case may be, um, you're going to probably end up having better access than the many San Franciscans who are very limited means, housing unstable, et cetera, who are not part of a particular community that has that organizational infrastructure Mm -hmm. uh, in place. Uh, and so, for example, uh, until, um, recently, um, as far as I'm aware, there was really, um, nothing and ha- not Enough happening in terms of educating the LGBT community okay. about the possibility about how to make sure you get onto waiting lists, how to enter lotteries, how to anticipate that your housing might be stable now, but you 're going to have an income drop in five or ten years when you retire or you go from private disability to SSI, uh, and how to plan uh, for that. Um, I was able to get in the last budget funding. Uh, for LGBT-focused outreach, and I know Mo awarded that contract Mm -hmm. to the LGBT Center Open House, which Mm -hmm. is terrific, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, it's sort of a late uh, start. And so that's just one example, because this is such a diverse city, and it's geographically diverse. Mm -hmm. People might live in areas uh, where there uh, isn't affordable housing being built or or not part of organizations that will help them access it. How do we ensure that all San Franciscans know about this and know how to access it?
6: Well, um, you said a lot of things. Um, We are ‑‑ we have uh, ‑‑ we do see that, that we need to reach deeper. And um, that was part of the access to housing program that we uh, that you speak spoke of. We not only gave that those funds to the LGBT center but also to uh, other local agencies working in neighborhoods um, and um, so we're we're hoping that that will uh, address some of that. And then uh, providing the training to those agencies um, so that they are more uh, aware of the of the opportunities as they come out, um, I think will help as well. Um, the, right now, we have about 17,000 names on our email housing alert system, where people get an email every time there's an an a, uh, a, uh, an opportunity that they might. You, you can only sign up for ownership units, or you can only sign up for rental units, or both. Um, and we we do need to make sure that our developer partners are um, are are following. In the, in the inclusionary program, we have we have it very well spelled out all of the requirements um, that they have uh, w- with regard to reaching community organizations. Um, we have stepped up that a little bit in the last year to be able to provide them with an actual list of those agencies uh, rather than having them try to figure out where to, um, to do outreach, um, and we will continue to, to do that uh, and continue to grow that list of, uh, of agencies to, to, um, to make contact with. I, I
0: just think that there are there's an uh, enormous with an enormous number of residents of the city who are not really connected to any particular organization, mm-hmm. and I, I know it makes it hard because we all it's, it makes it uh, we like to and we all do it. Our office we rely on organizations mm-hmm. to get the word out in different communities, but so many people. Either they're part of a community that doesn't necessarily have that organizational capacity Mm -hmm. or they're in a community and they're just not connected to any organization. Uh, And it's so challenging to reach uh, those people and and, and it's not, sometimes it can be definitely a language issue but plenty Mm -hmm. of fluent English speakers are also just not wired in. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to think about how we expand that pool. Uh, to people who are just not connected to any particular CBOs um, but are nevertheless you know longtime San Francisco residents who need to know uh, to be on the lookout for affordable housing opportunities
6: I think um, I think we could we could do do uh, some real brainstorming on how to how to do that and and I um, uh, we will. will
0: I'd be really interested in that and this actually ties into my next uh, question, which I um, maybe for you it might be for uh, Mr. Lee, um, which is, is somewhat connected, and that is about um, how, about the extent to which we can or should be taking uh, geography into account uh, in terms of people getting into affordable housing. Uh, and we've and we I've heard uh, about some. There is definitely some frustration that a community works really hard to create affordable housing in their community and the lottery goes out, and very, very few of the spots end up being filled by the people who have been in this neighborhood for 20, 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50 years. I'll tell you, one of my, you know, I, I, we've been working really hard in my district to build the the 55 Laguna project, focused, you know, a project that is friendly and embracing of LGBT seniors, and I, I have this, like you know, sometimes I, I get a little stressed out when I think what if the lottery goes out and there are very few LGBT seniors who actually get into this project and um, what a, you know, even though it's great for the people who did, what a disappointment uh, that would be for a community that's worked very hard for years and years to create this project. Uh, and that ties in a little bit into what I was talking about uh, with some communities I think being much more uh, having much more organizational infrastructure to be able to get into these lotteries than others, and the importance of making sure that people know uh, but how should we be thinking about this geography issue?
6: Well, there are a couple of challenges to that uh, to the geography issue, and we're we're looking into how we can work around those challenges um, the, of fair housing and, and making sure that we're not um, uh, giving preference for, over from one group to another group. Um, but the, um, um, the look at what other cities are doing, so we're right, currently right now researching what is being done in other cities to, pr- to provide neighborhood preference. And uh, if, the, if that is uh, something that we can replicate, we will uh, uh, we're, we're, we'll report out on that later. But we really are looking at how New York City um, provides neighborhood preferences and other jurisdictions as well. So um, that, 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 that's up and coming. Um, the I, research on
0: that. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing I think it's, I really want to encourage that. I understand that there are legal issues and mm-hmm. we have to be uh, creative, but I, I think it's important to think outside the box because I, you know, for, to the extent that there are projects, uh, I know, for example, the, the 55 Laguna project is one mm-hmm. um, where you have a variety of funding sources, including support from the community, um, there's nothing that will more quickly. Um, dissipate future support for a project, and you work really hard, and then all of a sudden, the the community that you that that worked to build something is not actually represented yeah. uh, in that housing. That it would be so demoralizing, and so I, I think it's important to quickly take steps there.
7: Yes, I agree.
0: Thank you, Supervisor <clears throat> so Kim.
7: Thank you. Um, I just have a series of kind of um, more procedural questions. Mm-hmm. Um, a question that we get a lot is. Um, kind of the questions about the different processes and we like you are always trying to kind of well, we actually usually call you to kind of delve into what the individual development agreements are mm-hmm. but generally when an applicant wins the lottery how many days does an applicant have to produce all the necessary pay- paperwork for income qualification uh, and is that uniform throughout? It's
6: the- not and that's one of the things that will be by the <laughs> middle of next year yes it's generally it's five days they'll have five business days to, um, uh, to provide the documentation that, that is required for a rental unit, um, and if they need more time, if if there is some, they can certainly and always can make a request for additional time, and we encourage our um, um, our our leasing agents to accommodate special requests for um, an extension. Um, and part of what we're working with the access to housing agencies with is to make sure that people understand that five business days uh, requirement so that when they put their hat in the ring for the lottery that they, they realize that if they do win, they've got to come up with the, the rest of the requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, the application for the lottery itself is a simple, it's like a two page application. A lot, of, a lot of folks think, oh my gosh, it's an eight page application but the, the application itself is two pages and there are instructions that we have um, that uh, take up the rest of it. Um, so it's, um, it's uh, we, we encourage people to, um, to, to know what comes ahead, what's going to be ahead of
7: them. Do we have a uniform application right now for all of our BMR units? Yes. Uh, whether they're rental or ownership. Yes. So it's only once you qualify that you have to produce the additional paperwork. For it's- ownership you have to produce that paperwork
6: up front. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we get we require a pre qualification by a first mortgage lender. We require that you attend the first time home buyer workshops. So we're we're asking for that stuff up. An advance and there that is covered in the first time home buyer workshops so that people and the housing counseling agencies can actually help people put those packets together and get that pre qualification uh, mm-hmm. from a first mortgage lender.
7: But in the case of a rental, whether I'm applying um, to an Avalon in Mission Bay or again. NEMA, and I only bring that up because we've been talking about it, and NEMA that's not under OCII, it's the same two-page application initially. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then it's only afterwards that a variety of factors would be placed in, whether it's income right. or other qualifications, and that you have five days generally to submit. But you will make that uniform throughout all of our private developers' Um, Mid next year, and you're able to do that despite what's been in the development agreements. We can kind of override what may have been agreed upon in past contracts. I see. No, not past contracts,
6: but moving forward. Moving forward. Um, Yeah, and and so when we make an agreement, when we when we go forward with, uh, we'll we'll put that in the
7: um, arrangement that we make with the um, developer. You know, frequently our developers are repeat players. They tend to not just um, build one building and it would be great if we could work with an Avalon on their next building to then make it uniform for all their pre-existing developments that already exist in San Francisco as part of the negotiations. It would just be great to get as much uniformity as possible. But you had also mentioned that um, there are special cases where we would get, um, where we would try to grant um, another couple of days, for example, if the individual is disabled, Mm -hmm. um, for example. What is the process, can we also make that a uniform process? Mm -hmm. So it's the same number of days for a set of factors that are clearly outlined? Definitely. Okay. Um, Also, in the case of Christopher at NEMA, who actually got a lot of ink um, in the press, (laughs) um, if a person is found to have a credit score that is below the minimum, um, can we work on um, actually standardizing additional time to be allowed for securing a guarantor? So here's the deal: Um, the the credits, most
6: all, none of these (laughs) um, leasing agents or developers require a credit score. So it's not a it's not a credit score that they're looking at. It's it's a rental score, and that score, what it takes into consideration, is how much debt people have. Whether they've been evicted in the past, mm-hmm. whether they have um, recent uh, uh, poor or late credit payments. Um, and all of those mingle in to this rental score. That's standardized by Mo? No. Um, It is most of the inclusionary units, those ones that we just mentioned, AVA and NEMA, they will have a a score for their development, a rental score, and then they will lower it a little bit for other BMR folks.
7: Are are we going to work on a standard process for future private developments going forward then, that everyone has the same um, standards for what... I, you know what is also frustrating about this is that many people that apply for BMR will have evictions on their records, um, often for non-payment of rent, and that's why they're on the market to get a below market rate unit. And of course, you know, if you know, you're, the likelihood of you having debt when you're low income is higher. I mean, it just it feels like we're setting up an impossible standard. That's part,
6: par, partially why we are another reason for the access to housing program to help folks uh, address those issues before, you know, immediately before they get into the lottery, before they get a number in the lottery. I don't know that, um, you know, because our private developers um, use various companies to run these, I don't know that we can mandate them to use one single company and I think that's what it would take if we used one single score Mm -hmm. across the board, but we can certainly work with them to… to make sure that their criteria, and we are doing that currently, Supervisor Kim, we really yeah. are working with those developers as when we're approving the marketing plans yeah. to make sure that they know, who, you know, who our population is and who we're trying to house, and that um, um, and and we negotiate with them before we even approve the plan yeah. to to make sure that that those requirements are. Um, are not as uh, not going to keep
7: people out of being asked. I mean at least moving forward I'd like to figure out what we can do with future developments maybe to keep them under one house um, if there's not as much that we can do for past developments um, because I think we just have to make this process as easy as possible not just for the individuals applying but even for the city. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say you have been amazing and fabulous every time we've called you with individual residents that have won the lottery and helping them figure out Um, how to finally get their foot in the door once they actually qualify, Um, but you know that's a lot of your time as well and I would like you to spend less time on (laughs) each individual family because we have a more standardized process and I just worry as our BMR program grows, which we want it to, you know that's that's our whole goal as policymakers: is to make sure we have as many affordable units on the market as possible. I don't want it to become such an untenable program that the Mayor's Office of Housing is unable to you know properly administer it and you know I, I didn't even bring up the example of the unit that was foreclosed on, uh, the BMR unit that was foreclosed on in South Market, that we were not on top of, and then Wells Fargo then sold that unit at market rate, and we lost a BMR unit um, that we should have gotten back and resold. I mean, that was a complicated issue, because obviously... That That was a former
6: redevelopment agency unit that we didn't have. The difference between the former redevelopment agency units and uh, the Inclusionary units is that the one of the differences is that the inclusionary units survive foreclosure, so that wouldn't have been able to happen because the it, it it with one of those units the their the resale price is mandated and and the the. The, for- the restrictions survive the foreclosure. But with the uh, LEP program in the uh, uh, redevelopment, the former redevelopment agencies program, those restrictions go away when the unit is foreclosed upon. So if we, if we lose the homeowner, if the homeowner isn't talking to us anymore or has gone someplace else um, and won't work with us, then we, um,
7: uh, yeah, we'll lose that unit and uh, it's, yeah. What was really unfortunate in that incident is that he lost his job, and now he has a job again. Um, But that unit is no longer available. Um, Actually, I I just have um, three more questions, and then I think we should move on um, to other supervisors or to public comment. Um, If an an individual family member is self-employed on a cash basis Mm -hmm. um, and does not have paychecks or a profit loss statement, what are the alternate forms of income verification?
6: Well, we'll take any profit and loss statement. I mean, it can—it doesn't have to be done by a CPA. We don't want anybody to have to go through, you know, expenses to to give us a profit and loss statement. It can be handwritten on the back of a napkin. We we would take a, a, a profit and loss statement. We also look at bank statements. Um, we look at um, tax returns. So. Uh, you know, we're really trying to help work with our uh, our self-employed mm-hmm. folks, and we understand that, um, you know, money comes in to us in many different ways, and so we, we try our best to, to work with folks like that to document their income.
7: Um, my last two questions, um, this issue came up with the Ava example that I brought up, but what can we do to enforce sanctuary city ordinance um, in developers' requirement of citizenship or documentation? So we are
6: doing that now um, with the marketing plans. Um, We are not approving a marketing plan that requires a uh, a Social Security number um, or that even asks the question. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. We are doing whatever we can in those buckets of housing that we can do it in. Mm-hmm. But um, when it comes to units that are funded with federal or state money, that requires a, a social security number, requires permanent residency, or requires some proof of residency, we their federal laws will trump our law, and we're not able to um, mm-hmm. to um, to enforce that. Um, and so there, there again, another reason why someone might come to you and say they made me show my you know, my passport or my whatever documentation, um, it, it might it have been because we could not monitor that. We couldn't enforce that.
7: And, and just my final question, I understand that there have already been a number of re-rentals of our BMR units at NEMA and AVA, which just opened um, a few months ago. And so I'm curious how we track, you know, residents exiting our BMR units and what the cause and reason of of that that you know sure we leaving, we do? track
6: them all because they all have to okay. come through us um, okay. to re-rent. Um, there was one uh, uh, re-rental at Nema. Uh, it was a lease violation, and um, they uh, uh, so they had a another available unit. And there was one at AVA, and the person at AVA uh, bought a house. Someone gave him some money, and they bought a house. So, um, you know, we don't have a mass exit of, of these units. Okay. Um, There's, uh, in fact, we wish we had more... <laughs>
7: Yeah, no, I I was, I I don't know, some of it is anecdotal, because obviously I hear from individual constituents, so I can never tell if it's a pattern or if it's um, not an issue. Like in these two cases, um, someone becoming a homeowner, that is a great reason to leave a BMR unit, Uh, but we want to make sure that we're doing what we can to keep folks in place if The alternative is then them being homeless or in substandard housing. Um, And I know that, you know, I hear it sometimes in our 100% affordable housing that there can be turnover very quickly Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, residents may have a hard time adjusting, living in a shared building environment, et cetera. And we want to do everything that we can to make sure that those folks stay housed and don't end up back up on our streets. Um, I have a lot of more questions, but, I mean, that's really the questions I wanted to ask at this hearing, but I do really look forward to working with the Mayor's Office of Housing. I appreciate the months of time that you've been spending working with our office on this issue. I know Supervisor Cohen is um, very interested in this as well, since a lot of development is occurring in our district, and yeah. we'll have the BMR units in Districts 6 and 10, although throughout the city, which is great. Um, and I know that, you know, both of our offices would like to continue to work um, with the Mayor's Office of Housing. Thank you. Certainly, I just wanted to time.
2: take a moment to just acknowledge, Maria, um, your commitment to the work that we've done. We, she and I have spent a lot, Supervisor Kim, we've spent a lot of time on um, on the marketing plan and how these units get marketed and communicated to the greater public. And mm-hmm. certainly, we've peeled back the many layers of the onion and we've We've identified a couple areas mm-hmm. that we are going to be continue to work on that, that can help increase um, access and awareness to um, to the general, to the larger general public. This hearing was really helpful in helping me think about some developer standards that need to exist um, and certainly uh, Supervisor Kim and I and um, to some degree Supervisor Weiner as well will continue to use this body as a vehicle to help um, help um, help streamline the process mm-hmm. to, to help make sure that there's integrity and in the quality of um, um materials and standards that are used as much as we can possibly do from as a legislative function. Um, so this hearing is very helpful. Your information has been phenomenal. Thank you for bearing with me on my questions earlier on about just key def- definitions. Mm-hmm. No matter how much work we do on educating people, AMI seems to the definition of AMI and, and what exactly does um, these percentages, mm-hmm. how they actually break down, what does it really mean when you translate it. So And Mr. Olsen-Lee, thank you very much for your time and your dedication to this uh, Um, To the subject matter as well. Thank you. Thank you. Great.
0: Thank you very much. Um, We will now open item number four up for public comment. I have uh, several public comment cards. Larry Rich, Dave Osgood, Laurel Tester, Gloria Wright, Teresa Imperial, Imperial, Caroline Calderon, and Ace Washington.
4: to me I think hello um, I, my name I was the first guy you called um, I appreciate the BMR program I was fortunate enough to win a lottery in it but uh, the paperwork pace and the time limits of both the BMR program and the mo and the developers is out of step with actual reality thank god I won a BMR lottery and I was given five days to comply and uh... Uh, The MO had to extend my time limits. Um, I I was in compliance but because I'm on Section 8 um, and because Section 8 is so ungodly slow although they were very fast for me, um, uh, I basically ended up losing the first apartment that I was applying for that I won in the lottery and the MO had to reassign me to a second apartment which I could very easily have lost as well. Um, because the, um, the Section 8 process just takes so very much longer than the developers in Mo allow. I have four case managers and they personally, thank God, <laughs> they personally sat down at the, uh, at the Section 8 office and made them do the work for me or I would still be homeless. I'm very grateful for them. Um, And I have seen with my own eyes that even the inspection process at Section 8, where they simply go out and inspect the unit, can take six to eight weeks. It It shouldn't be that long, but if you're in an environment where you only have five days, there has to be some sort, I understand not everybody who applies for the BMR program is on Section 8. But there has to be more communication between Section 8 and the Mayor's Office of Housing and the BMR program because there are some people who are really poor like me who have to be on Section 8 to get into the BMR program. Thank you very much. Next speaker.
8: Hi, my name is Teresa Imperial. I'm I'm the case manager at the Veterans Equity Center. And, um, throughout the time as the, the housing program, our bills are housing program, we have helped and assisted in filling out applications, whether it's by nonprofits, um, by Bridge, Mercy, and as we see more influx now too with, um, from the below market rate programs from the mayor's office of housing, TNDC, CCDC. So we've seen like different forms of applications itself. Um, so, As we are going through the, um, with the housing applications under the BMR, um, and it's great that we, you know, we get to work with the mayor office of housing themselves and they really advocate for clients that we call on. But we realize that there needs to be a more coherent, more uniform policy and even in just procedural wise. And one of the things, um, first is the, about the disability, people who are in disabled, like you have, um, like just Larry Richards have mentioned earlier, um, there are developers that are not aware of the of the how the process works with San Francisco Housing Authority, with the MOH, and that communication itself. And there are times, and if they don't have case managers, they may get denied. You know, if there's no one advocating for them, they may get denied because the the developers themselves don't know that kind of process. And we would have to call on to the mayor office of housing, and they would advocate for that. And other, another one, too, is the finance. Um, we felt like there needs to be an alternative on the credit check. Um, like we've seen in bridge housing, they look into alternative as to like other forms of like utilities if they pay their utilities on time. And I know, I think, and I know some of developers look on the rental history itself, but, um, because a lot of people don't have good creds these days. Um, so that's, it was good that that was brought up earlier too. And also the idea of identity. Um, there are, we have clients that are transgender who have different names used uh, an old name before um using their new name now but there's like um complication with that because they may have old name um using their different name so maybe adding just a different quest uh, another question of that and also with the re rentals like we want to um we felt like there are in- New we notice that there are new developments that are like one or two years old, but there's a big turnaround. And we had a client that we helped in one of the BMR unit who got not really evicted, but got into cell, but who is because of nuisance and he has a, per, a person with disability and mental illness. So what kind of protection do they have in there? Um, so, uh, and also for the developers themselves is to really sure. hire someone who is culturally sensitive and linguistically appropriate for this. Okay, Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
9: Hi, I'm Gary Bailey. I'm here on, um, to speak on about being selected as a preference holder. As a, as a certificate preference holder, and when we go through the walkthrough before you select it, you know they uh, tell us, well, these are the departments that are available for us, and then you wait until you get selected and then you go back and you do a walkthrough again just to see exactly if they've given you the same place that they said that was available come to find out that's not the case. So it's like either you take it or you don't take it, which you don't really have a choice. So I'm like, well, what's fair about that? You know, because if you're going to tell me this is what's available, in your mind, this is what's available. Not over here in the back in the corner that, you know, somebody does say, well, we're just going to dump this on you. You know, that's how I feel. So... As far as them telling you, it's like false advertisement. You know, why tell me this is available for us? And you know good and well, this is not. If this is going to be, like, you know, like a model, then tell us up front and say, well, uh, the department that you're applying for is similar to this. It's not going to have closets. It's not going to have this. You can't, you know, certain things you're not going to have. So, they're not being honest and upfront, and there too, the parking. I'm like, who, who gonna pay three? Who got three hundred dollars or three hundred and fifty dollars to pay parking every month? What's I mean? What's low income housing? I mean, don't that fall up under low income housing? I just you know want to know why is we've been misled, thinking that this is they show you this picture over here, they show you this picture over here. And then all of a sudden they take it away from you and say, No, we already picked what, you, what we want for you to have. That's my biggest issue. So, thank you. Uh, we get that straightened out.
0: Next speaker.
3: Um, hello, my name is Caroline Calderon. I work for the Veterans Equity Center and I work as an outreach coordinator in the Bill Soil Housing Program. Um, we definitely want to work um, to hopefully make sure that. THERE ARE CERTAIN BMR PROCEDURES AND POLICIES THAT ARE AMENDED BECAUSE WE WANT TO REDUCE THE AMOUNT OF BARRIERS THAT um, THE APPLICANTS THAT WE ASSIST FACE. Um, we, I HEARD THAT WE TALKED ABOUT like LANGUAGE ACCESS, DEFINITELY LIKE ALL PRINTED and online materials and applications um, should be translated. But even in the application, submitting applications, like I've stood in line for like three hours um, dropping off um, BMR applications, and so I've seen a lot of miscommunication between like leasing staff and applicants um, who don't whose primary language is not English. So there def- definitely needs to be translators in the application process and also post lottery interviews. Um, it's also, like uh, there should. There should be a uniform policy on immigration status, um, specifically like with developers who have certain visa requirements um, and also the the application itself. Um, when you pick up an application, it's, you actually get like 14 pages, but you only really need to fill out five. But the 14 pages can be very overwhelming, especially for folks whose, again, whose primary language is not English. Um, And so we definitely think that the application should be reformatted because we've also seen, um, that like there are some columns that are too small in the application. And then when they folks cross it out, like the application, the developer won't accept it because it's like white, white out. And so there isn't a uniform policy in that. And so we have recommendations of how like the application should be formatted. Um, it's very, very similar to the six, the six pages that MOHCD has, um, but it's just formatting. I think it's more, it's not as um, daunting to applicants. Um, yeah.
7: Okay, may I ask a question through the chair? Or? Yes, Supervisor Kim. Um, Thank you. By the way, and actually, I I forgot to recognize when I mentioned Bishop that you've actually housed over 800 San Francisco residents since 2011, and that is amazing. So thank you so much for being on hand to help people fill out their application form, which is often the first barrier to even getting housing. Um, I had a question about the language piece, because I had asked that Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Mayor's Office of Housing prior, and and you had mentioned that it can sometimes be challenging. Do you find that the applications are always translated um, by the devel- uh, private developers, um, and do you find that the never, translation yeah. is adequate?
3: Yeah, it's never like- been translated. Um, I've never seen a translated application, and then I've never seen a bilingual leasing staff member. I've I've had to assist like. Um, folks who speak Spanish like in line who don't know how like what some of these things mean on the application and that's just kind of like
7: me standing in line and meeting those folks. Um, So you've never seen one of these applications in Spanish or Chinese or Tagalog? I mean, um, Tagalog is a new addition.
3: No. I mean, we've had our own volunteers try to translate some of the things, like, so when we do presentations um, for housing application workshops, but not one that you can get off like the website or pick up
7: from like a developer. And have you asked a developer for a translated um, application before?
3: No. Okay. Yeah.
7: Thank you for
2: providing this, though. This is helpful. I have a quick question for her. So how long have you been working in this capacity?
3: I've been working um, for two years in assisting folks apply for BMR um, rentals and other kind of rentals too. Okay. Thank you.
0: Mm. Okay. Next speaker.
10: Good evening, uh, Supervisors, and congratulations, uh, Supervisor Cohen, for a wonderful campaign. Thank
2: you.
10: Uh, <clears throat> I'm here, I was here on another meeting upstairs with the capital planning committee upstairs that go through the uh, infrastructure of the city and county, and I just happen to be down here. Well, i got a lot of things to say, but not that much time to say. The first thing of all, uh, I think there needs to be, and you to have to do this politically, set aside. Set aside for each individual groups that come up here that needs it. I noticed the gays, the Asians, the everybody else. But I'm up here advocating for the African-American black who merely is non-existing in this city, who has no representatives to talk to our people. But I'm dealing with public housing, which houses plenty of people. Now, the young lady that got up here and said this is her first year anniversary, well, welcome to the city. This is my 25th year here in San Francisco. Unpaid unsalaried, uncomputerized, but I have been serving the tenants of this community for over 25 years. Way before most of y'all was in city politics. Way before most of y'all was even in here at, you call it city hall or I call it silly hall. Now the primary objective here is HUD. All these different changes that you're talking about. There was a HUD meeting here with some of the supervisors held a meeting where Supervisor London Breed was very disappointed in HUD and the housing and everybody else that's involved with that when it deals with public housing. But now we're dealing with all other sectors. But right now I'm here to tell the city, Olsom Lee, and Ed Lee, there is a new day here. There's a new era. The system has broke. It's broken. And you bring in all these new people from all over the country, but you won't sit down and talk to persons like myself and others that's been here for umpteen years, that's been dealing with housing. Not one time. Not one time has they come as an expert. But that's okay. I'm going to have to go to HUD. I'm going to have to file an injunction to stop everything. Because this is a new era and all these people are coming complaining in different sectors and y'all hearing them, but we as African-Americans have been doing this for over 25, 30 years telling you we've been displaced. And we are the ones that put together under uh, the San Francisco Housing Development Corporation and under, uh, I ain't gonna, I'm forgetting her name because it's time's out, but I dare, no one's going to ask me a question. Osim Lee knows me, Ed Lee knows me, before these departments were even put together, before they hired these people to come here. And I can't understand the city and county, that is the problem. You go outside our city limits to answer the questions that's inside our community. This is a new era, and doggone it, I ain't got no time for eras. Now, I'm hoping that we can have a meeting with Olson Lee and all of these people that call himself with Rad. I was just upstairs with Naomi Kelly. I'm asking for an ad hoc meeting, all hands on deck, and sit down with us And so we as people from the community that's been here numbers of years can work with the newcomers then work with the community activists these developers that's taking over public housing these nonprofits, even in your districts uh, TNDC is in my community now at Rosa Parks they're in total violation they don't like me to say it yeah we ain't got nobody there hiring so there's a new beginning yours truly ace Washington I don't need your permission y'all because I'm on a mission I have three generations under me and I'll close with this. Uh, I'm sorry, your time is up. Okay, my time uh, is up.
0: Madam Clerk, could
10: Thank you very much. close
0: the microphone? Otherwise, I have no way of really okay, knowing. Thank you. Next speaker, please.
11: Thank you, Supervisors. Um, my name is Gloria Wright. I'm a resident at Rincon Center. And along with Laurel and David, we're here to provide feedback. They're also residents of Rincon. We're here to provide feedback about our 25-year-old BMR program. As you create new BMR programs, we hope the city will learn from the shortcomings in ours. We also hope the committee will assist us in resolving these long term concerns for us and low income tenants and other BMR programs. There are many other older BMR programs like ours. It's important that the city do more than just create these programs. It is our belief they should be monitored, adjusted, and maintained to remain, to be, remain effective. While the original corporate owners supported the BMR program at Rincon Center, the four subsequent owners have worked to diminish the program by chipping away at it. This needs to be stopped. They've eliminated units, they've moved them to less desirable locations, and they don't provide the same level of maintenance and upgrades that the market rate tenants receive. They have also fought our rights to meet and distribute meeting notices. MOH has stated that there should not be two tiers of apartment amenities, Yet the BMR units are clearly deteriorating. Some tenants still have 25-year-old carpet, energy-wasting appliances. None of the market-rate apartments do. One BMR tenant with the 25-year-old carpet and appliances reports getting a rent increase of over $800 a month this year. April Veneracion and a city building inspector inv- visited one BMR apartment last year, and the inspector issued citations. Thank you.
0: Next speaker.
12: Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. My name is Laurel Tester, and I also live at 88 Howard Street, and I participate in the BM program with Rincon Towers. BMR tenants have been denied leases in violation of the city housing plan. The wording in the housing plan says tenants shall be provided leases. The owners claim the word shall is different from the word must and they still argue they are not required to provide leases. To their their credit the Redevelopment Agency addressed this dispute several years ago but it hasn't been resolved and just serves to increase tenants sense of insecurity in their housing. There are also glitches that MOH has been unwilling to address. These include BMR tenants being moved into higher rent categories, despite no increase in in income. These rent increases can be as much as 40%. We warned MOH this would happen and they refused to address the problem. BMR tenants continue to be vulnerable to this problem. Many problems are caused by MOH's insistence that they only use HUD's AMI number to calculate annual rent adjustments. The the AMI number is clearly out of sync with the economy and has brought about rent increases on low-income tenants as high as 9%. HUD has told us cities should not use the AMI number for this purpose. There are plenty of accurate groups of incomes and the economy, but MOH refuses to consider these accurate alternatives. Annual rent adjustments are supposed to match changes in the AMI, yet there is a glaring double standard in this process.
0: Thank you. Next speaker.
12: <laughs> I got
7: Second.
13: Can we give this to the supervisors?
7: You can also provide your full comments to the committee you weren't able to finish
13: it. Hi. uh, Supervisors. Dave Osgood, Rincon Center. uh, Continuing the thought about AMI and its problems, when the AMI increases, rents are always increased by the same percentage, no exceptions. When we have protested the very high increases that don't match the economy. The city has always promised that BMR rents can also go down to offset the unreasonable increases. It's their roller coaster approach. However, while the AMI has decreased four times in 25 years, the city has only reduced rents once. While it may sound like a bit of a stretch to expect rent decreases at this time, they are absolutely fair and necessary as long as MOH chooses to continue using the um, erratic AMI. Mayor Ed Lee's Office of Housing is also inconsistent about what rules we should be following. Rincon Management and the BMR tenants have been using MOH's procedures manual for over a year. Now MOH tells us the manuals do not apply to us but they have not told management this. Management continues to use the the manuals and they refuse to clarify this inconsistency. We don't know what the program's rules are. Uh, Please remember that these are basically income-based rent control programs designed to keep low and moderate income workers in the city. Since most BMR programs are in less desirable parts of the city, it is better that tenants can put down roots and help redevelop the neighborhood. There needs to be stability in this housing. We have four recommendations. We are suggesting that a citizens advisory committee on BMR matters be created to meet with uh, MOH on a regular basis. Meetings with the director are clearly needed now to resolve current problems. We also recommend that you hold a follow-up meeting and fourth, uh, since MOH has such important duties, there should be an oversight commission. Please uh, let me know if you have any questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item number four? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Supervisor Kim.
7: Thank you. I actually just had... Um, a few follow-up questions from the public comment that was made, um, either to Ms. Benjamin or to um, Director Lee. Um, The first was actually the comment made by um, a member of Bishop which is that she has never seen a translated um, housing application form. And I don't know if you have a response for that. I found that actually stunning. Well, right currently, um, the
6: requirement to translate is in our outreach um, uh, uh, portion of, of that's They have to translate outreach materials. The application is not in the list of stuff they have to translate. So we have to ask them to do that. This is one of the things that we um, um, are definitely changing in our next uh,
7: uh, manual update. Um, Can we require that? I i 'm shocked that we don't require, that we never required private developers to translate these documents. I never even thought to ask that question because I, I just assumed that we did yeah. Yeah. and they will tell us that they we ask the question
6: and they say yes we'll do that Can they submit it with their market uh, their
7: market plan
6: i will, We will definitely uh, consider that. Uh, that's definitely going to be one of the issues that we put in the update of the manual. And we'll, we'll work with your staff, if you like, to, to, to Absolutely. work that out what, what, when, when we get to that point.
7: So why historically, how is it that we only required marketing and advertising to be translated, but not the application? I think it was just a, um, they, it didn't, they didn't, an oversight,
6: I would imagine.
7: But it's been an oversight for 25 years.
6: Well, it wasn't even in the, the outreach until the 2013 manual update. I, the 1997 manual didn't speak at all to translation.
7: I'm really surprised that it hasn't come up sooner. Um, but that being said, I would love to work with you on making sure that all um, of the applications are translated. Um, I, I don't know how people have been applying this whole time. Um, without translated applications, if not if not for going to a community-based organization like a Chinatown CDC and a Bishop, um, you know, or a Meta, I'm, I, I, I'm we certainly speechless have, actually. We, we certainly have. We have uh, in within
6: our office have right. translated certain documents as well. I mean. We we know, we understand the need to have people understand what they're doing, um, and what their you know what mm-hmm. their what their requirements are. So we do have translated documents, yeah. um, that we've done in house.
7: Um, yeah, they should be required, um, and I you know we should definitely work on that. I, a couple of questions came up from our last um, last set of public commenters on on the long term BMR unit program, and I know that your office has been working. Um, with them on kind of standards on upgrades. Um, I was wondering about uh, two issues, though, specifically. Um, One was, you know, whether BMR units are given to building employees that are maybe managers um, or employees Mm -hmm. of the building. And that's kind of on the list. That's a violation. That
6: would be a violation of the the BMR program. Every BMR unit has to go through the lottery system.
7: Okay. So maybe that is something that we could get more information from the residents from Rincon. Hill regarding because that's something that they had listed. Now, now, I say
6: that, but each as again, each development has a different set Got of requirements. It. And if that's in if that's allowed in the agreement that was made 20 years ago, then right.
7: I mean, it's one thing after you get into a BMR unit if they allow BMR residents to apply for kind of jobs within the building, but I certainly mm-hmm. would hope that they weren't just straight away offering it to their employees, kind of jumping. Um, the waitlist process. Um, the second issue that came up was the um, that I had a question about is that the number of BMR units have been cut in half in one of the um, in, at the Rincón Center. Is that the case?
6: I'm not aware of that. I don't know. I know that the that the Rincón Center has its own uh, housing plan, and it it is uh, unique to any other uh, plan that I have seen. Um, and it does allow for um, the developer or the owner to um, have a certain number of units that are I affordable at different Lee levels Lee's
7: walking and up on this individual Lee. project. <clears throat> is it the case that at Rincon Center that the number of BMR units available were cut in half?
14: Yes. Um, the redevelopment plan <clears throat> and the development of that particular development is under um, a specific uh, development disposition agreement and, and there were bonds issued for that particular development which had um, a certain number of units um, that were outstanding at the time. As, as that time passed, um, the, the units expired and the, uh, the a number of units reverted to a, a lower number based upon a, a pre-negotiated um, housing plan. Um, it's clearly not something that would be something we would do today, uh-huh. but it was whoever. It was, it was negotiated as a part of that redevelopment plan at the time. Um, what and, happened to and, the
7: tenants that were in those BMR units? Was it natural, kind of? You know, as people left, those units were made market rate, or were they actually evicted? What what happened in that case? I, you know, I
14: don't recall what happened to those residents, if it was, um, it was done through attrition right. um, or, or, or what happened. I think clearly, you know, at the time that that development was negotiated, um, all of the South Beach developments were also being negotiated. So, you know, South Beach Marina and, you know, the other development, Bayside Village, et cetera, were um, as well as Fillmore Center. These were all during a period um, where uh, multifamily housing was developed for the first time. Mm-hmm. All of those buildings, um, including with perhaps the exception of the of uh, Rincon Center, came into uh, to financial difficulties, um, which sort of illustrated, you know, sort of the newness of, of what the city was trying to do with that multifamily housing within that redevelopment project area. So, I can't explain, you know, you know all the, the reasoning behind why that redevelopment plan and that specific development and disposition agreement was structured in that way. Um, clearly, it was um, to allow for the revitalization and, and, uh, of that in the limited term of the uh, public benefit. And clearly that's not the practice of OCII today nor is that our practice since the inclusionary units are are restricted for 75 years or the life of the project at this
7: point. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I I could probably ask, you know, 100 more questions but I'll refrain at this time um, but also um, acknowledge that there is a lot of work ahead of us but also um, some work and process that is um, that we've accomplished thus far and I really look forward to uh, continuing this work um, with our residents our our community-based organizations that work on this issue and of course the mayor's office of housing and just on some of the next steps that I know that our office is working on um, first is you know some a policy that we've been talking about for a while which is the inclusionary housing dial um, and I know that I've we've um, our office has been engaging with supervisor Cohen's office because we know a lot of um, inclusionary housing will be be built in the future in District 6 and 10. And you know, t- for members of the public that don't understand this issue, um, we've heard from so many of our constituents at the lower end of our average median income um, that are concerned that units that are priced at 55 percent AMI is still far too high from them. And then of course we hear um, from our middle income um, residents um, that are working class that are just above 55% um, that may not qualify um, yet either for BMR home ownership opportunities and so are kind of in this in this kind of middle range where they, they don't qualify for the BMR rentals but also not they don't make enough for the BMR home ownership. And so we're very interested in moving forward a policy on the dial which would allow um, developers to perhaps build more units at a slightly higher income bracket and slightly Less units um, for more subsidized units for our lower income residents. Um, And I know that is one step that we're moving forward on. Second, you know, we would like to work on a formation of a below market rate implementation work group. Um, with residents our city staff and housing counselors to really hash out you know um, some of the conversations that we're having today on on the marketing plans, um, the translation of the documents, you know the number of days, what factors would allow you to get an automatic extension, what we would do for a resident that was on Section 8 where a federal agency was just not moving as quickly as a private developer in the Mayor's Office of Housing can. And finally, um, I'd like to introduce legislation that would require the collection of information about why residents are leaving um, their um, affordable housing units. And again, you know, if it's it's stories of success, that's a positive story. Um, but if there are rep- uh, repetitive patterns that we're finding, specific types of nuisances, specific types of lease violations that are causing um, uh, Low income and middle class residents to lose their housing. Um, you know, it'd be great to understand what that was so that we can even help prepare to counsel um, our residents as they move into housing because we have an expectation of what some of the challenges may be. And so, um, really, again, want to thank everyone for coming up with our residents, our CBOs, and the Mayor's Office of Housing um, colleagues. Um, I'm not sure if you have any other um, closing comments or questions.
0: It doesn't look that way. So um, would you, Supervisor Kim, uh, would you like to uh, file this or continue it to the call of the chair? Um, I'd like to make
7: a motion to continue to the call of the chair.
0: Okay. So the motion is to continue item four to the call of the chair and we will take that motion without objection. Thank you. Madam Clerk, is there any additional business before the committee?
1: There's no further business.
0: Then we are adjourned.